many many years back when i was you know just beginning to explore the space of work and i was really trained by an organization called partners in youth empowerment and the founder of partners in youth empowerment charlie he spoke of how largely facilitation is something that he defines as operating from a place of higher self he shifts the focus at that time from constantly finding tools and activities to do to traveling a little bit inwards and trying to engage with one's own values and one's own perceptions and one's own world view around them and i found that very very powerful because there's just so much of self work that a facilitator does consciously or unconsciously and that only further strengthens the practice of their facilitation and this is something that one of our previous guests spoke about where we were engaging with queer identities right and and he speaks of how if you're not connected with your own self you may not be able to create connections around you because then you're discussing topics and doing activities but to find you know bring in the humanness into the room one has to engage with one's own humanness and i think that's that kind of came back to me and one of the other things that kind of stood out for me when you spoke of you know and it was interesting right because a lot of your response was around being facilitative i really like that frame and one of the intentions of this podcast was to create that balance of what does a facilitator do and who is a facilitator as in who are they in their being because so much of a facilitator's dna is about setting people up for success that's one of those unsaid outcomes it doesn't matter whether you're in a meeting whether you're in a one-on-one conversation whether it's you're in a training process and that leads me to you know all of this conversation around that self work uh that one does perhaps initially very very consciously very very methodically and uh, towards an end like you said you know you're you're kind of tuned into that higher self constantly and yet there are places where we mess up we make mistakes right so i'm very curious of that that would you be able to describe you know was there a moment where you messed up and it's not so much of the messing up that we want to focus on but how did that shape you and who you went on to become after that process i have a lot of times when i have messed up you know and each of those moments were for me important career milestones because through a process of reflecting through the process of peer feedback especially co-facilitator feedback I just felt I could get better at what I'm doing and I feel any work that requires uh, some element of creative risks is likely to land in chaos and messiness in some way or the other so yeah so if you could speak of a time when you messed up and who who did you become after that what did it do to you oh god actually I'm going to change that question a little to can you speak about the number of times you've messed up <laughs> because it happens so much shalini i tell you it's a if that didn't happen i wouldn't really enjoy my learning curve as a facilitator so the irony of it 
is that it's an unpleasant but very necessary part of our learning curve as facilitators. I just wish it it showed up in a much more <laughs> handleable form. But jokes apart, I'll give you two examples. So there was one day when I was, um, we were doing a leadership program and I was leading this particular session in the afternoon. So there was one activity which was being done outdoors with props and all of that. And there was an activity brief and then there were three, four groups that had to do a whole bunch of things before that activity. So this was a program that wasn't just pure process facilitation. So there are people there to learn leadership concepts and techniques and so many things. And then some of those things came alive through engaging in activities. While I was facilitating that activity, unconsciously, I just switched to complete process facilitation mode, which is just inquiry, 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 inquiry. And I'm deriving so much joy out of just being this master Shifu. I'll ask you the questions, but I won't give you the answers, right? And in doing so, my blind spot was that I completely like lost the handle on context, Context is so critical to what we do as facilitators, not just method or not just process, right? A method or a process may prescribe that something needs to be done in a certain way. But if you're married to that alone and comply to the point of perfection with that in principle and lose the handle on context, which is what form does this need to take for me to engage this group in what needs to come alive for them? One of the key elements I missed out there was not giving them some technical information. That's just pure technical information. One is about what, what we're setting out to do, but clarifying some of the concepts that we discussed that we were trying to bring alive through activity. And these are just plain answers. I don't need to say, what do you think about it? Or what are your thoughts on that? I just need to say, oh, is that so? Okay, if someone asks a question, I just need to say, well, you know what? This is what it means. Or these are the forms it can take, right? Or these are the variations of something. Or these are some examples of it. Ah, great. Thank you, Arjun. That conversation is over. I, in my joy of being this inquirer, stretched that for a bit, for about at least 10, 15 minutes. And it left that group in a state of confusion. They were like, what's happening here? I just asked you some very technical questions. Just tell us that and then we can get going with this activity. But somewhere I confused the two. And that day, my, you know, in hindsight, my lesson was that in facilitation, there is a space, there is a context, and there is a time to give answers, to give instructions well, to provide the right resources for them, for a group or for an individual to do something. So facilitation needn't be pure inquiry especially in the world of work you have to wear multiple hats and you have to identify that's the skill right being able to spot a moment where you need to switch to another facilitative hat which is giving vital information and then switch to the hat which is the inquirer but if you're getting somebody to inquire without them having the necessary basic resources you're just debilitating them you're put, making them feel more incapacitated. And then I'm on the other side of the fence, feeling deriving this beautiful bliss of, wow, look at these questions that are flowing out of me. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I never thought I'd ask such a question. They were speechless. They didn't say a word. That was how powerful the question was. 
but they were speechless because they were looking for vital information that would help them then engage in inquiry. So these are some traps we can fall into as facilitators. And this is what I've come to learn in my work, that my work isn't only about process facilitation. It's a mix. And at different points in the day, I'll need to identify which hats I need to wear or for different projects and tasks that I've been assigned, even in my calendar, I'll start to already plan. Okay, we've got this training program coming up. It's this kind of a training program. These are the outcomes we're designing for. How much of it is content alone, process alone, or content and process? This has happened many times. And um, I've burnt my fingers more than once, just kind of pushing the faders on inquiry too much at the cost of just giving necessary information. So I've gotten now much better at handling that. And uh, yeah, it's such a relief when I catch myself not doing that and think about how miserable I felt doing it. (laughs) So yeah, I think this shows up in so many ways. So I think this for me is the top blooper that I've committed as facilitator. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, some of my favorite mistakes, uh, I think there's a song like that. So some of my favorite mistakes have been designing for oversharing or over-reporting, you know. So send people into groups, bring them back for sharing. Send people into groups, bring them back to sharing. And at some point, I had to ask myself, wait, why am I doing this? So thank you so much, you know. And I do want to tell you at this point, and I think you already realized that. I think that aura of being an entertainer that you felt you've always had, I think it's so evident even in this conversation. (laughs) Because, you know, I think a lot of what you're saying is so profound and there is a lightheartedness to it. There is so much humor to it. And I think it's such a beautiful superpower that you have. Before your next question, another bulb went off. Can I just add a part two to this? <laughs> yeah. Suddenly these bulbs go off at a time when there are so many power cuts in Bangalore. So the other dimension to this, right? Another trap that I used to fall into, it's still in the same blooper category, which is For a long time, and I don't know if this happens to many people, but this is something we can help aspiring facilitators with, which is, right now I put it out as a caution. Learn from your mentor, emulate your mentor to whatever extent, but don't aspire to become your mentor or embody your mentor or become the next version of your mentor in your practice. I've done that. I still have so much love for my mentor, the person who taught me facilitation, Vishwas Parchare. You know, I wouldn't understand it even when he used to tell us, hey, don't try to become me. Go become yourself and bring yourself out in your facilitation. So I, for a long time, would try because at that point, that's your only anchor in your formative years training to be a facilitator, your mentor and your mentor's ways of doing things and achieving success. You're seeing how well your mentor does something and how they achieve success with that or the difference they make. That becomes for me a benchmark that I need to be able to do something like this in this manner because that's when I'll make that kind of impact. And it's such a wow moment for me that starts to unconsciously kind of get codified as I need to start being this way, talking this way, you know, that whole non-verbal cues, everything, right? It will give you a starting point. Yes, it, it has this tiny role in shaping you as a facilitator, which I don't think one should do away with. Yes, imbibe that that spirit of your mentor, that, you know, that 
persona is good, but don't do it at the cost of unconsciously pushing your element, your whoever you are out of the picture. Because your mentor then can't fit into this container that you are. This container is tailor-made to accommodate your spirit, your persona, your talents, your creative expression. It flows best through this, right? But your mentor's great qualities flow out because it's coming from that container who your mentor is. So these are two different containers. You can't fill that in this, right? And that won't shine as vividly, vibrantly as it shines because it sits in that mentor's container. And um, this inquirer blooper would come out of wanting to be like my mentor in a corporate program. And I'd be like, ah, now watch the next question I'm going to ask you, you know, and I'm like silently telling my participants, this next question is going to blow you away. You're going to like have aha moments that can ring across the cosmos and nothing happens because I'm just trying to be another person. It takes time. It's not something you can unpack, unlearn in one day and say, okay, tomorrow I'll stop doing that. It comes with falling, getting up, falling, getting up, falling, getting up, and then playing with this identity. Who am I as a facilitator? How much of another person can I be? Should I be? All these questions, right? I still don't know the answer to this, but at some point, at least I've witnessed for myself, at some point, somewhere, that guitar finally gets tuned. Some last remaining string has finally got the right amount of tension or loosening. And when you strum it, you're like, ah, this is me and not anybody else flowing out through me. You can feel it. It's a, it's a, you can, it's a chemical change in your body. You can feel it. From that point on, your conviction levels start to stabilize. Confidence starts to stabilize and increase. Clarity starts to, so all those parameters that informative years of forming this new identity, right? They'll sometimes be below average or, you know, in the red. All these vital parameters, like, you know, like a, like a medical report, you know, they'll start to improve. So underneath what is on the surface, just the skill of facilitation or learning a particular school of thought or a process, a way of doing things outdoor facilitation and, you know, corporate facilitation, da, 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 da. That's the denominator. That's what goes from inside out. But that real core element is all these parameters, your sense of self-worth, your whole self-concept, your, you know, self-confidence, clarity, conviction, competence. These things that sit at the foundation, they need to be strengthened. So there are some huge questions for trainers of facilitators, aspiring facilitators, facilitative leaders in organizations, because it's our responsibility to create the conditions for those root elements to start increasing. How do you do that for people? That's what sets them up for a long haul as facilitators. Otherwise, they'll achieve success with one or two workshops and then they'll lose excitement in this practice itself right you'll be like why should i even think of pursuing something like this i feel i feel low i feel a lack of confidence i don't achieve any success with this what is the reason i mean so these things make them suddenly there's a spring in the leap and that spring in the leap is so vital for everybody
because that's when you can align with a purpose that you find for yourself and stick through the rough weather also it's not just the joy of facilitating some exciting workshops on good days sunny weather no major hiccups but when you are going through rough patches when there's macro economic shifts like this right covid the whole world has come to a standstill how do you still find reasons to move with your craft right or give it new forms yeah wow i love that i'm so glad that you decided to add this uh, you know to the to this conversation because i feel all of us has gone through that process so your mentor is really somebody who perhaps is uh, you know has that divine presence you know guides you guides your work but the idea is not to cut copy paste because you know every individual facilitator or a facilitator leader is a diamond by themselves they have their own strengths they have their own core skills they have their own superpowers uh, that was beautiful so arjun one of the reasons why i wanted to you know bring in this lens of uh, someone who works in the social impact space is also because one is increasingly the world of work around us is beginning to speak of this idea of leadership we also seeing trends in the space of coaching and i'm parking that for some time but uh, this whole conversation around leadership has now you know everybody seems to be writing about it there's just a lot of work that's happening around almost all organizations are investing in leadership building we are increasingly seeing accelerator programs out there we are also seeing how the non-profit sector in india is also you know actually not just india but globally is moving towards the space of building and investing in leaders and leadership who who uh, are interested or are already working in the space of social impact and it's not something it's not a recent phenomena you know if i have to trace it back almost i would say 15 18 years back and even longer we know of organizations like the ashoka innovators for public and you know people who are doing this kind of work so i w- i was also aiming to bring in that context for our listeners that how facilitation could be done in so many different contexts and so many different kinds of learning outcomes actually so in this part of the conversation i'll request you to focus on when we are in the business of designing empowerment journeys and uh, and so what does that designing empowerment journey mean what does it mean to build more leaders or build more leadership in social impact careers what are some of the back end things that we you know you can tell us about and therefore what is the role of a facilitator in spaces like this so i'll let you respond to that pertinent question and i think like you said right it's a conversation that's going on all over the world right now more so because of the state that we're in with covid and all of this right but there's the conversation about leadership is now becoming louder clearer and it's taking on so many forms so i'll explain this to you also with a, uh, an example of the work we do at the amani institute where i work when you spoke of empowerment journeys no shalini the three things that come to mind one is the larger big picture view right which is i see an empowerment journey as ha- starting at a point a 
and going to a point B as its desired state. It doesn't necessarily have to end at a point B, but a point B is that desired shift or change. So that kind of change can be envisioned by something as large as a, a region or a country or a continent or then a community and, and so on and so forth, then an organization or you know, a sector. So at that large formation level, it can be a state, a desired state of change that such a large formation of people want. The second part can be in an organization, inside of an organization, there can be a point A for a person who's in that organization and a desired point B as a, as a journey of growth. Growth, not just as growth within the organization, but growth because that growth also allows for amplified impact. And then there's the third piece, which is the, the personal view. In this large scheme of things, I'm ultimately building a career for myself, right? I'm choosing to make my career part of this large scheme of things. So what is my point A there in this organization? How, how am I growing? How is my career growing? So these three strands I see as, as just forms that we can give to what we call an empowerment journey. So then the next question is, if this is one way for us to see what empowerment looks like, which is going from one state to a more desired state, a, more, a state of more enablement, empowerment, equity. The question is, if you're, if you're leading an organization or a country or a region or whatever it is, if you're leading a formation, if you're the leader of that formation, what does it mean for you to enable this kind of empowerment? If you are the beneficiary or if you are the participant of that formation, what does an empowerment journey for you personally mean? What is your personal empowerment journey? So it's two ways. As a leader, enabling the empowerment for the people, as the people or the person, what can I also do to, to seek that kind of empowerment journey, right? So it's two ways. So let's look at it from the leader's perspective first. So a lot of social impact organizations across the world, I mean, you're working for a wonderful organization. You've led social impact initiatives throughout your career. So you know how this works, right? So a lot of us social impact organizations, there is a deliberate articulation of vision, mission, purpose. These aren't just, this isn't just a wordsmithing exercise of a copywriter, right? These are things we really deliberately put down articulate and make accessible and, and, and relevant to the people. So at Amani Institute, that's a huge focus. Purpose-driven economy, building the purpose-driven economy, helping people build purposeful careers so that they can make impact through that. So all our work is centered around this, right? And that is our way of building a world beyond boundaries or without boundaries. So every program, every role, everything is crafted around meeting this outcome. And there are so many wonderful social impact organizations across the world. Why I'm saying social impact organizations is because such foundational elements are deliberate practices. They're, they're visible day-to-day -day things. We get to see them, right? So as a leader of an organization, the way I see a leader being able to create an empowerment journey is to make it possible for every member of the organization to experience the vast range of forms in which leadership can be practiced. 
can you be the one creating those opportunities for everybody creating the platform for that creating giving them the space the authority the resources to actually take that opportunity and fully express themselves in it it's not just giving an opportunity right they should be they should feel free to take the opportunity fearlessly without feeling like oh is this a customary gesture or is this something real right so can you create cultures in which people are so conscious so intentional deliberate aligned and when they come to work they are able to take these opportunities and how can an intern be a leader how can you create leadership opportunities for an intern who's still in college but is interning in your organization don't just make them do the dirty laundry you know oh here sit here and you know go through these excel sheets for two months that's your internship no if you do that how what are the chances of anybody getting excited about facilitative leadership in the future they're like oh my god i'm going to dread working in the corporate world itself so it starts right there at the door that is going to open for talent to come in at that doorstep itself how can you make leadership opportunities visible vivid accessible and to show people that if you step into this door this is not going to be just our customary welcome gesture for you this is going to be your life in this organization in this field in this sector where you are now on this quest to practice leadership in all its forms and not wait for i have 10 years of experience only then be eligible to practice leadership no so as the leader of an organization your challenge as a facilitative leader so your facilitation design challenge is can you create this kind of a system that runs by itself where you don't have to come and do it as okay annual day when the leader comes and dishes out opportunities and goes no in your absence if you've taken a two year sabbatical even if you've left the company and gone because leaders of organizations also change organizations right they have their own personal journey so think about your career as a leader and say i am probably in my 30 year career going to switch organizations at some point or the other but when i move from one place to the other can i leave behind some practices and systems that are so nourishing that the organization feels like continuing them and those practices those cultures that those environments you create must be nurturing grounds for future leadership don't just excite the experienced folks about leadership excite the the tender nascent fresh talent that comes into the world of work excite them about leadership so that's one empowerment journey this side for the person who's actually benefiting from these opportunities which is it's not just about me being available at the right place at the right time to receive this opportunity that's being handed out to me right it's about this opportunity that's being handed out to me to practice leadership is just a message that there is work for me to do as well there's work for me to do this is an invitation for me to create a path a life a career that has this innate quality so what is the work for me to do to seek out these opportunities to seek out opportunities where i can practice leadership to seek out opportunities where i can learn from what i do wrong or from my mistakes to seek out opportunities where i am in charge of my learning curve that i have a personal learning curve that i am driving not just relying on an organization or a leader to keep 
giving it its form. They put the fuel into it. I'm the one driving that vehicle. So I need to step on the gas. I need to steer that vehicle. I need to sh shift the gears. That work is self-empowerment as well. Right. So how do I create my own empowerment journey because my organization or sector or region or community or country is creating the environment for that? How can I meet them halfway? And for the organization of for that whole, the, the system, the system has to meet this person halfway by inviting them to a journey of leadership. The person taking on that journey needs to meet the system halfway by autonomously, intrinsically being motivated enough to take on that journey. This is when you will start to see generations of leaders who are not just qualified by age or by title, but by sheer intent, purpose, willingness, character, all of that. Leadership meets all of these things. So then your onboarding programs will have a completely new character altogether. Team meetings will have a different character. Client meetings will have a different character. When you give people responsibility, you're putting trust in them, right? This is one thing I've realized. In my empowerment journey, I've discovered, sometimes I've been handed big responsibilities when I thought I wasn't ready for it. Because there was a perception around, oh, I've still not grown into this role. But I've had leaders in my company, even at Amani Institute, many times over, the co-founders of our company have given us this opportunity to take ownership of something and lead it, whether that's leading a program, whether that's leading an idea, whether that's leading a conversation to its logical conclusion. It's so empowering when your manager, your boss, your co-founder says to you, Arjun, this conversation with the client tomorrow, I'm going to rely on your inputs for it. When they say something like that to you the previous day, it fires you up with energy that somebody is not just giving me a gesture. They're saying that something I'm capable of is being sought after, sought out. That comes to a leader only when they've entered that frame of mind of wanting to create what you've very nicely described as empowerment journeys, where they don't see themselves as front and center all the time. But they are sometimes they needn't be physically present, but they're still engaged. And therefore, Arjun, uh, what is the role of a facilitator behind the scenes? Simple. Spot as many opportunities for this kind of empowerment. Spot opportunities in the frenzy of things, in the busy world of work, when you don't have all the time to reflect and relax. It's like sitting in a, in a high-speed train. When you look out of the window, you see all those trees zipping past, right? And it's a blur, right? How can you clarify that blur while sitting through that pace? That's a challenge for facilitators. So somebody who's a facilitation practitioner in whatever role or a facilitative leader needs to be able to do this. Spot opportunities for empowerment, right? You may not always be able to turn every opportunity into something magnificent. But... Build your own muscle to spot opportunities. Out of 10 opportunities you spot, you may be able to facilitate maybe four of those opportunities into actual tangible possibilities for empowering people. So as a facilitator, one part of your sensing, your, your sensory mechanism is to look at anything that may be an opportunity for empowerment. Part two is to be able to mobilize people towards that opportunity. 
You do that sometimes by asking questions. You do that sometimes by going and giving motivational speeches. You do that sometimes by guiding people, by giving them resources. How do you mobilize people to the opportunity you're seeing? Just because you saw it doesn't mean everyone is seeing it, right? That's the other thing. As a facilitator, sometimes because of practice, we'll have a certain view of something. In our viewfinder, something appears a certain way. It does not appear to our people the same way. That's something for us to be very mindful of because then we'll get into the zone of how can you not see what I'm seeing? Right? So as a team member, as a peer, as a leader, whatever, you are maybe a client for somebody else. What you see in your viewfinder is only yours. In an organizational context, a lot of facilitation is about making that vivid and visible to the others. The means to do that, that's where we can bring back this conversation about in such situations in the world of work, the means to do such things, to means to make something visible and vivid and make somebody aware of an opportunity or a possibility is not always through the workshop style activity. You'll not always get a chance to run activities or workshops or training programs. Sometimes you have to do it in the middle of a conversation. Sometimes you have to do it outside of a conversation, in the silence between two conversations. So as a facilitator, one in this kind of a context, one suggestion or idea that I'd like to recommend to anybody practicing this kind of facilitation is widen your repertoire of the means that you use to achieve a certain end. Don't be married to a methodology or a method or a process and make yourself the custodian of that or the, the one who takes forward that legacy. There's a larger purpose to why we are all here on this planet and in, in our workplaces. If you find yourself unable to apply one method, methodology, process, procedure that you became so fond of or, and also mastered, you're not able to find application for it elsewhere, that's one sign for you to say that probably is not needed. And then widen your repertoire. But before that, understand what needs to be facilitated here. The end is most exciting. The means to the end need to be much more flexible. How we get there needs to be, we need to have a range of options. And sometimes you need to just use whatever options are available to you, which is why I focus on the end. By end, I don't mean just target on numbers or result, but that possibility that you can bring alive for somebody, that desired state, because of which you're taking on an empowerment journey in the first place. From your viewfinder to theirs, how can you transfer that? That's half the journey done. Not even, I won't even say battle one, but yeah, that's half the task in itself, right? So that's, that's my invitation, suggestion, whatever you may want to call it, to other peer facilitators or facilitators feeling that stuckness of, hey, you know what? I'm not able to apply this methodology. Maybe I should just call it quits. It's not about your methodology at all. Who cares what methodology you learned, Right. Focus on the things you can bring alive. One part of it is your methodology. There's your persona, there's your purpose, your ideology, your identity, your ethics, your character, your talent, skills, experience. All of that is also part of that salad bowl. Don't throw that out or make it so dormant that you're, because your focus is always on methodology or 
activity. So yeah, that's what has been for me the turning point. When I have just said, when I will be method agnostic, I will be totally agnostic to methods. I won't be attached to any content concept. That's not what I need to preserve. I need to preserve the wisdom from it. I need to preserve its applicability. I don't need to propagate it. That's where we can lose focus and slide down, uh, you know, a very, very dangerous slide where we start to get so rooted in the identity, ideology, school of thought that you lose focus of all the other excitement you can create with your work. Awesome. Thank you so much. I like that idea of widening your repertoire because when you do that, then the opportunities around you also tend to widen themselves. That's really awesome. What I'm going to do in this last segment, Arjun, is I'm going to throw some words at you and I'd like you to think as a social impact facilitator. So you're wearing the hat of a social impact facilitator while you're listening to this word. And I'd like you to say the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear it. All of these words are very specifically, I'm asking in context of facilitation, actually. So you're ready? Okay. Awesome. Chaos. Necessary. Anger. Teacher. Spontaneity. Wow. Structure. Wow again. Structure is essential. Yeah, essential. Failure. Wisdom. A continuous learning facilitator is fill in the blanks. Curious. Awesome. Wow. You know, you should see my uh, notes. I have like so much, (laughs) so much headline uh, here. Arjun, thank you so much for this absolutely fantastic conversation because I just feel it's, it's an unexplored area. And we are, we are only touching the tip of facilitation in, you know, social sector and, you know, in leadership practices. I feel there's just so much to uncover here. And I'm so glad that you brought stories and examples from your career, from your current work, from your life journey. And uh, like you said, you know, schooled by randomness. And I think the reason why I find that so humble, because uh, it is not about always relying on opportunities that, you know, might be accessible to us. But perhaps, you know, if uh, there's just so much that's happening around us, there are people that we are meeting at certain time in certain places, and all of those, that becomes an opportunity. And I feel that's, that's in many ways opens up a lot of possibilities to look at where one can go from this. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to pull a prank here, Arjun. And since you were the former radio jockey, I'd like you to do the closing of this podcast episode. So so I'm I'm giving you actually like 10 seconds to think through just like, you know, your first job and where you got 15 minutes to think through it. (laughs) I'm giving you you 10 seconds and then I'd like you to do the closing of this podcast. And, And with that, perhaps, you know, you're also giving your final message to anybody who's listening to this podcast in this specific, you know, thematic area that we engaged with. So I'll let you do that. Wow. So before I do the closing bit, I want to also just say, or maybe this can be part of the closing bit. Let's give it a go. Let's see where it goes, right? 
thank you wherever you are listening to this podcast on your in your car on your bed in your dining table or with friends or at a bar with a beer in your hand or on your office table wherever you are listening to this podcast thank you for your time thank you for your presence and thank you for allowing us this opportunity to come together and to share with you some insight some lessons we've learned in our our journey as facilitators and uh, there's so much more to come in this wonderful series of doing being doing and this is just the beginning of a lot of things that shalini is going to bring to you on this series this is a wonderful place to learn and to contribute what we've learned about facilitation it's such a wonderful craft it's such a beautiful practice but also it's so hard to learn it's so hard to imbibe and it's so hard to understand in the first place so we as facilitators have the dual responsibility of a practicing this craft well but also in the larger scheme of things making this craft understood for what it truly is and that's where there's so much work to be done so many people need to be awakened to the nature of this type of work and the possibilities that we can bring to life by being facilitators so stay tuned to doing being doing there's so much to do and there's so much to be thanks shalini